The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. I hope that while you're watching that video that that the true reality crossed your mind that that should have been you on that cross. That should have been me on that cross. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done to destroy sin, to destroy death, and for taking our place that we might go free. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all the church says together. Before I preach, there is something I just do want to say to everyone here recognizing that there are a host of people here that are not usually here with us. I recognize that all over this nation right now, this very moment, there are pastors essentially giving a sales pitch for the church. Talking to these kinds of people is the same kind of feeling that you get when you talk to a used car salesman. You feel like you need a shower when you're done talking with them. It just feels icky. And what I just want to say to you this morning is, I am not here to impress anyone today. Um, I don't have a fancy building to show you. You showed up on Easter morning this morning in a pole barn. That's what this building is. And I'm glad that there's as many chairs on the floor because if we didn't have as many chairs out, it would reveal all the stains that we have on this floor here. I don't have a program to try and sell you or to get you into. We don't have any perfect people at this church to show you, nor is there a perfect person in the, in the pulpit this morning either. There are no perfect marriages among us, and mine is certainly not either perfect This is not some kind of big ministry machine that I want to feed you into to try and get you to stay. I don't give a rip about your money. I don't care about it. I don't have an agenda to swindle you into trying to stay at this church. And, and even if I had all those things to show you, a fancy building and all the programs and all the stuff, I wouldn't be showing you those things anyway because they wouldn't be worth your time showing you those things. But what I do have, I do want to give to you this morning, and my goal this morning is very focused and very singular. And it's to simply show you who Jesus is this morning. There's a lot of ways that I could do that today. I recognize that. I could, I could show you something of Jesus by preaching through the creation, and we would learn something of Jesus' power and, and Him being able to speak everything into existence. I could preach to you about God's dealings with the nation of Israel, and we would learn much about God and his nature and his character and his interests and his mission pertaining to his guiding the nation of Israel like a father leads a child. 
I could show you something of Jesus by preaching to you about the apostles' deaths. We would learn something of we would learn something of the complete life change, the total heart transformation that the gospel brings about, causing it such that men would die for their faith, for their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. I could do that and it would work, but I could also preach to you some biblical proofs. I could show you something of Jesus' nature through the biblical proofs, things like the reality, the truth that that the Bible was written by more than 40 authors over the course of 2,000 years on three different continents, and yet it has a perfectly harmonious message of God redeeming his people. I could bring about interesting things of Scripture, like in a world back then that did not trust or believe women, they thought as Aristotle did back then, and that women were simply something to be owned, an animal to be bought. How God's word reveals to us that even in that phase when people do not believe or trust women, that the focal key elements of Scripture many times involve women. I could preach to you those things, and it would show us something of, of our Lord's defiance against sin. I could tell you this morning about non-scriptural accounts of people who hated Jesus in his lifetime, in the time that he was alive on this earth, the people that hated him that also gave a testament of his burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I could do that, and it would tell us something about Jesus. But to show you his nature, his character, his interests, his mission, I'd like for just a few moments this morning just to preach about some of the things that he said while hanging on the cross. And my challenge for you this morning, church, is... is Put your preconceived ideas about Jesus on trial today. See if they're up to the test of God's word. Because most people, most people believe things about Jesus that are simply not the truth. They believe things that they've been told. People believe things that they feel God is. And those things, I am convinced, are completely irrelevant. And that what God's word says is the truth. And it tells us what Jesus is like. So I invite you to take your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And once you're in Luke chapter 23, you can find your way to verse 32. Luke 23, verse 32. And if you don't have a hard copy Bible, you can find this on your phone. You can go to Google and you can simply do a search of Luke chapter 23. That whole chapter, I'm going to be in the New King James Version. So you can look up Luke 23 NKJV on your cell phone right now. And you will have that entire chapter before you as we preach God's word this morning. So we come to a portion of text while Jesus is hanging there after he had been betrayed, after he was accused, arrested, beaten, spit upon, nailed to a cross, humiliated. This is one of the things that he said. It tells us there in verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Then Jesus said, everyone say the words Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So the thing, the first that you can write down on your bulletin this morning is that 
Jesus is the sinner's advocate. Everyone say the sinner's advocate with me. Ready, set, go. The sinner's advocate. Jesus is the sinner's advocate. 1 John 2 verses 1 through 2 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I hope you're thinking this morning. I hope you're using the brain that God gave you to think about these things. And I hope you're asking yourself the question, how is it that he is an advocate? How, how is he an advocate for the sinner? How is it that he, that he stands between us and God in this kind of way? Because what it is not like, church, here's what it is not like. It's not as if we come to the end of our days and then all of a sudden Jesus says, well, I like this one because they're tall, so we're going to let this one into heaven. I like this one because they're short and chubby and cute and we're going to let this one into heaven. And I like this one because they made lots of money and I'm going to let this one into heaven. And I like this one because this one's works outweighed their wrongdoing, so therefore I'm going to let this one in. That is not what happens, church. He is our advocate. And verse 2 of there, 1 John chapter 2, tells us in what way he is able to be our advocate. It says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now I recognize that this word propitiation is an old word. Most of us probably don't know what this word means, and I'm going to do my very best to explain to you what this word means. So, so far we understand that Jesus is the sinner's advocate, and that propitiation is the reason that he can be the sinner's advocate. And I'd like to explain to you what this word propitiation means. I don't know much about outer space, but what I am told is that when a spaceship goes from outer space and then it's coming back into our atmosphere here of the earth, that that process creates an incredible amount of heat. So much heat that the materials used on the fronts of these spaceships as they're going from outer space back into the atmosphere, that that process creates so much heat that, that the materials would just melt they would completely disintegrate under the extreme heat. They would be completely and utterly destroyed as they went from that dimension into this dimension. So the scientists over at NASA did something. They created this special kind of shield that goes on the front of these spaceships. And the purpose of this shield is actually to be burnt up. It's made to burn they can see how large the ship is and they know all the time it's going to take for it to go from one dimension to the other and they build this special shield so that as it's going from outer space into the atmosphere of the earth that it begins to burn up and that's what it's designed to do so that once it enters this dimension of this earth all of a sudden it's burnt up completely and everything behind it is kept safe. You want to know what they call that shield? They call it a propitiatory shield it's made to be destroyed it's there so that it keeps what's behind it safe the reason that jesus is the sinner's advocate is because he's our propitiation he is the thing that allows a wicked sinner to stand before a holy god because we've stood behind him he's absorbed the wrath of god so when we come down to the end of our days dear friends in church listen to me it's not because people have been and done good things and that's why god's going to let them into heaven when when you stand before god the reason that you'll be allowed to be accepted into his heaven is because jesus is going to say I'm the propitiation of this one. This one was behind my covering. This one, his name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why Ben Schwederman's going to be allowed to go into heaven because I'm his propitiation. 
And because I'm his propitiation, I'm his advocate, I'm standing, I'm allowing him to go from the sin, cursed place that he is, and I'm going to let him go into this sinless, wonderful dimension called heaven. He's going to be able to go through that because I am his propitiation. He is in me. He is in the likeness of my death, the likeness of my burial, and the likeness of my resurrection. Therefore, I am his advocate. He is my propitiation. Can I just tell you, church, this is why I love him. This is why he's my savior, because he is my propitiation. He's my advocate before the Father. There's nothing good that I've done. The Bible says that even my best righteousness, the day that I have said no to temptation the most and preached his word to the best of my ability, it's still like filthy rags before God. And the, the true reality is, is because I know what God's word says about you, I know what it says about me, I know what it says about God, is that most people, and, and look in the mirror this morning, church, look in your heart's mirror today, most people believe that if your good outweighs your bad, that God will accept you into heaven, that's a lie. It's not the truth. So is he your advocate this morning? Is he your propitiation this morning? Are you in him? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting that granny took you to, church, took you to VBS when you were a little kid? It means nothing. It means nothing, church. But if he is your advocate, it means everything. If you love him, say amen. Look now to verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So paint this picture in your minds, in your minds this morning, church. There's Jesus. He's been whipped on a whipping post that in the Roman crucifixion, most people never survived the whipping post. He's been beaten, he's been, he's been stripped naked of his clothing, he's had this crown of thorns placed upon his head, he's bleeding, he's dying, his hands have been pierced, his feet have been pierced together as he's hanging there on the cross. And I hope you see that even in that moment, man, if there's anything that really gets us to see that Jesus was both man and God together, it's like, could you take any one of us and put us in that circumstance of hanging there on a cross? The last thing we'd be doing is caring about other people, church. The last thing that the human heart would be doing is considering others. But what is Jesus doing? It lends us something of Scripture to tell us what his mission was. He's still saving in that moment, church. The next thing that I hope you write down, that I hope you remember, is that Jesus is the sinner's rescuer. He is the sinner's rescuer. In that moment, he was saving. None of else would have, no one else would have been. He was both man and God, and the God in him was saving in that moment. And what I hope you're not like today, church, what I hope you are not like, is that other criminal that blasphemed, saying, if you are the Son of God, why don't you save yourself in us? And here's a litmus test to know whether or not you're like that other criminal. Is if you've ever said, if you say in your heart, 
If God is powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? Which is a question that a lot of people ask. And if you've asked that, you're like that other criminal. You've blasphemed. You've not trusted. You've not believed like the other criminal that Jesus looks to and says, Today, assuredly, I say to say to you, you will be with me in paradise. I hope you're not like that. I hope you're not like the man that I heard of this week. His name was Louis Delcourt. He fought in World War I and he overstayed some time of leave that he had. He was too afraid to go back into the army, fearing the, the judgment, fearing the discipline, fearing what might happen to him because he overstayed his leave and so he decided to abandon his position in the military. And what he did was he hid, true story, he hid in his mother's attic for 21 years. She fed him, she kept him safe, he went completely incognito in his mother's attic for 21 years. She dies, she gets old, the poor woman dies. And he had to come out. He had no one to take care of him anymore. So he leaves his attic and he decides to turn himself in. After 21 years, he goes to the police station and he explains to them what's happened. He's haggard, beard, pale skin, looks awful. And he goes and shares with the police station what he has done expecting to be arrested. To which the sheriff looks at him and says, did you not know that the moment you went into hiding, there was a law that passed that says there was going to be no persecution, no no." No seeking to punish those who have betrayed their position in the military. You've been spending the past 21 years in an attic because you didn't know what the truth was. And I just wonder this morning, church, how many of you have been in an attic of unbelief? How many of you have been in the attic of unbelief thinking that you could trust your goodness? Thinking that you could trust the fact that Granny took you to VBS when you were a kid? Thinking that you're trusting the fact that you go to church? It means nothing, church. It means nothing. You must believe. Come out of the attic of unbelief. He is the sinner's rescuer. And I'm thankful, church, this morning. I'm thankful that I don't need another person, that Jesus is the one that stands between me and a holy God. I don't need a priest. I don't need a pope. I need Jesus and His offer is there. I don't need works. His offer of forgiveness is there. His offer to make me a new creation in Him is there. And I'm thankful for it. If you are, say amen. Now I invite you to go right in your Bibles to the next book, the book of John, chapter 19. John 19. And once you're there, you can find your way to verse 26. We have four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we know of John's account that he was the one disciple that, as you saw in the video, which was a true depiction, he was the one standing by the cross. John references himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So it makes no, it's no surprise that this is the one account that tells us what it was that Jesus said in this particular and very special moment. Don't miss this. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that's talking of John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth. He had this role in heaven of being worshipped by holy angels. 
He has this mission to come down and save a people that, that owed him. He didn't owe them anything. They abandoned him. They rebelled against him just like you and I do. And he's on this mission to save them. He will soon be in the grave. He knows that he'll raise from the dead. And then he also knows that he'll be ascending on high to back to heaven where he was started. And yet in that moment, not only is he an advocate for the sinner, not only is he the rescuer of the sinner, but he is also, next point, the sinner's caretaker. He takes moments in that moment of history doing the most important thing ever, the most important mission ever. And he sees that his earthly mother is cared for by one of his disciples. Matthew 10, verse 29, and it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So when you come to God, dear friend, this morning, remember in truth who it is that you're going to. Forget not that you... Your feelings about God are completely irrelevant. What people have told you, if they don't line up with Scripture, they're completely wrong. Not worth to be trusted. God's Word is worth being trusted. Remember who it is that you're coming to, church. There are two attributes of our Lord that all of us would do great benefit if we would increase both of these attributes of our Savior. One of which being His great, intense wrath. That we not forget that God, the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that sacrificed himself for us is also the God that killed everyone with the exclusion of Noah and his family. We would all do well to remember God's great, great wrath. And if you're not in Christ this morning, well, Pastor Ben, you shouldn't scare people into the head. You need to know the truth. You need to know the truth that God is full of wrath against sin. Your unbelief, your disobedience is the equivalence of you taking a gun, pointing it at God's face, and pulling the trigger. You've rebelled against Him. And He is full of wrath against sin. You need to know the truth. Visitors this morning, I love you enough to not try to sell you some stupid program. I love you enough to tell you that you need to get right with God. The wrath of God abides on the person who is unbelieving. You need to get right with God. You need to repent and trust believing in Jesus. The other element that all of us would do so well to know of Jesus, of what His Word reveals to us about Him, what He's like, His nature, His character... We would do well, church, to remember that he is the God who beckons little kids to come to him. He is also the God that, that when the prodigal decides to repent and come home, he's the father that comes running. For, for the repentant believer, for the person that says, I'm, I'm, I'm forsaking this life, I'm forsaking my sin, I'm forsaking the way of the world, and I'm turning to trust in Jesus. There's no wrath against you. There's no wrath against that prodigal that comes, comes home. God will come running to you with open arms. He'll throw His arms around your neck. Did you know, church, did you know what God's Word says when one person believes that angels rejoice in heaven over one person that believes in Jesus? The angels rejoice. When one person comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, He's the Father that comes running. Let's not forget 
that he's an advocate, that he's a rescuer, and that he is a caretaker. And he's a tender one at that. I've come to know even in this past, I've been saved for a number of years, church, but can I just tell you, I've come to know as a pastor over the past 12 months how good of a shepherd he is, how loving he is, how much care he takes for us. It's amazing, church. It is so amazing. We would do so well to increase our understanding of God's wrath and both his wonderful tender love, his tender caring love, for the sinner, and I'm a sinner, so that's good news for me. If it is for you, then say amen. amen. And lastly, this morning, Jesus is the sinner's substitution. Matthew 27, verse 46, and it says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this has been a very puzzling statement to theologians over the years the very best interpretation that i know how to give you that that is so congruent with scripture is that what we know of jesus is that there was never a time when he did not have unity with the father there was never a time when he had this separation from the father their will was one they were together they had this unity that's almost it's a mystery at church. It's a mystery. And it's an amazing, sweet, wonderful mystery. The unity that they had. So we take this particular text in Matthew 27, knowing what Jesus said, hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we begin to complete our theology by seeing 1 Peter 2, verse 24, which says, who himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So here's what I believe with all my heart is that in that moment, just prior to Jesus crying out this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And knowing also that, that my sins he bore in his own body. Every time I've lied, it was placed on him. Every time that I have sinned sexually, it was placed on Jesus. What sins have you committed, church? What sins are you guilty of? It was placed on him. He bore it on a tree for you. It was placed on him. And as best we can tell from Scripture is that, that God turned away from him. That, that God saw Jesus as a sinner so that God could see you and me, sinners like Jesus. That in that moment there was this separation. That there was this, he was a sinner. He became sin for us. It says there in 2 Corinthians 5, For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he made him who, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He became sin for you, church. He became sin for you. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him he is our substitution church it's what he has done and it's good news so when i see the cross when i see his word that reveals to me these things as i see jesus for who he is i see an advocate i see a rescuer i see the sinner's caretaker i see one that is the substitution he was him in your place church do you understand the great news that he suffered all those things so that you wouldn't have to and you didn't deserve that church you didn't deserve it i didn't deserve that but because he's good because he's so good because he is so holy because he's so righteous because his understanding is so more developed than ours 
He did something that none of us would have done to suffer and bleed and die instead of us. That's good news. That's good news. So who is Jesus? He's an advocate. He's a rescuer. He's a caretaker. How does that stack up against what you thought about Jesus when you came in today? I hope you see it, and I hope you see it for truth. This is not in my notes to share, but um, yesterday I was, I was out cutting wood all day. I was cleaning up this big tree. Me and Grant were out on the farm, and he was helping me, and, and that's why I'm walking around today like a 90-year-old man when I'm a 29-year-old man because I'm sore as could be. I can barely walk, and, and as we're sitting there, we're working. We look over, there's, there's vines all in these trees, and, and we look over at this young tree that's just beginning to bud, and it had been full of vines, full of them. I'm talking like hundreds in this one tree, and they're all dipping down from the canopy. And I had gone a number of weeks ago, and I took a chainsaw, and I cut them all off, and they're, they're still hanging there. They're still, the canopy is completely full of these vines, but the, the roots of these vines that are connected to the ground, they, they've been cut off. They've been removed. They have no power in them anymore. And, and I'm looking at it, and I said, Grant, that's a great picture of the gospel. I said, look at those vines. They were going to kill that tree. By the nature that this tree is in this environment with all these vines, that tree was going to die. It doesn't matter how big that tree is. It doesn't matter how deep the roots of that tree are. It doesn't matter how good the works of that tree are. The nature that it's in this environment with this sin, with these vines, it's going to have a vine grow up next to it and they'll choke it, they'll kill it, 100%, no doubt. But when something more powerful than the vine comes, the steel chainsaw, when the thing that's more powerful than sin and death, the very person of Jesus Christ, when the thing that is more powerful, it breaks its back, it renders it powerless, it's a great picture of the gospel. And I just wonder today, how many of you still have vines hanging on you? How many of you have not had that experience where you've come to know God? Where He's broken the back of sin in your life? Because it doesn't matter how healthy a tree looks. It doesn't matter how self-righteous you think you are. By the very nature that you are a sinner, that thing will kill you, church! You've got to know that you have to have the back of it broken by the one more powerful. Now here's the beautiful thing, because I believe with all my heart that there will be people who get saved today. I believe there are people right now that are hearing me preach. You're seeing Jesus for truth for the first time. You've gotten rid of your feelings, which are stupid, and you've gotten rid of all the stuff that people have said about God that aren't true, that are stupid. And you're hearing it, you're seeing Jesus for the first time, and you know that He loves you. You know that He's a rescuer. You know that he took, He's the one, He is the one that took your place. And you believe in Him now. And you say, Pastor Ben, I believe, I believe in Jesus and I want to, I, I, I forsake my old ways. I, I want the power of sin to be broken in my life and, and I see the love of a Savior. I didn't deserve that and I want to trust and believe and I, I believe in Him now, Pastor Ben, I believe in Him. And you know the really cool part about that is uh, as Grant and I looked up at that tree, we took a break from what we were doing, we looked at that tree and I thought to myself, I didn't share this with Grant, but I thought to myself, you know those vines are going to be in that tree for a while. But once those, they don't have any power, it, it has no ability to constrict the tree and kill it anymore. This summer will go and that tree's going to bloom like it's never bloomed before because it's now got a destiny of being alive. 
It's got a future of being alive. But those vines that are still full in the canopy, the sin that is still interwoven into the, into the human heart, even the believer's heart, when those vines on that tree dry up and the sap in them stops flowing, they'll get brittle, they'll start to break, and I'm looking forward to building a house right next to that tree so as the years go on, church, I can watch the vines fall from that tree because they're dead. That tree will get back to the way it's supposed to start looking. The person, when they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got all these sins. Life is not always going to be easy. You're going to have things that you go through where you struggle with sin, but just remember, they've been broken. They have no power over your life anymore. And as you continue a walk with Jesus, he will continue to make you like that tree that's going to continue over the years and years and years. The sins will fall off. The vines will fall off. You'll become more like his son. It's a good process, church. If you know Jesus, you know that's a good process. It's hard sometimes, but it's a good process. If you believe it, say amen, because our Savior is faithful to change us. So this kind of preaching, I'm not a fool today. I recognize that it usually leaves people in one of three groups. There are some people that are completely repulsed by the gospel. You think to yourself, how, how dare God demand that we believe in him and follow him? You're still like that thief. You're still like that, like that person that was in his mother's attic. For all the, You're in an attic of unbelief. And I believe that the reason that you're staying there is because you like the sin. You, you've thought, I think that some of you probably have even had thoughts of like, well, what if I believe in Jesus? What if I follow him? And then all of a sudden these things come to mind of the things that you love, which are sinful, that you know that you'll have to forsake in following Jesus. And I just want to be honest with you. I love you enough not to be some greasy car salesman to try to get you to stay at this church. I don't really care if you stay at this church. I want you to know Jesus. And the wrath of God abides on you. And you are a damned individual. Because you have rebelled against a God who loves you. A God who has mercifully allowed you to be at New Covenant Community Church this morning where you hear the gospel preached. And I wouldn't want to be you. I would not want to be you. I would not want the wrath of God to abide on me. You need to get right with God. And you need to forget this crazy nonsense that's in the world that says, well, God is love and therefore God loves everybody and therefore God's going to let everyone go into heaven. It's a lie! It's a lie. And you need to know that the wrath of God abides on you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. The other group that it leaves people in this morning is there are people who, like I said earlier, they have come to know Jesus in these very moments. They've come to believe him. They've seen him for truth as revealed in his word. And if that's you, I just want to say, man, I'm, I'm so happy. And I'm not even ha as happy as the angels that are rejoicing in heaven right now over your salvation. It's awesome. And I'll be there for you. I'm not, I'm not trying. This is not a scheme to grow this church. This is me saying, I want to walk with you in any way that I can be. And if you don't live here in this town, I'll help you find a church that will help you do that. You need to be with God's people as you grow in knowledge of his word. And I'm glad. I'm glad that you've, I'm glad that you've escaped death. What a great Easter for you. You get to go eat some ham really happy today because you know Jesus and your sins are washed. There are some though, I recognize that in this last group, there are some that are doubtful. You say, Pastor Ben, I see this. I just, ah, I'm just not there. I'm, I, I'm wrestling with whatever it is. And you know what? 
I'm glad you're here this morning. Because one of Jesus' own disciples, his name was Thomas. Sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas. What a poor way to remember that poor guy. How would you like for your name to be remembered as Doubting Ben or Doubting Brian or whatever? What a poor guy. I mean, sometimes I feel really bad for that guy, but, but he is. He's known as Doubting Thomas, and, and he doubted. And Jesus had some things that he said to Thomas explicitly. And I could read you the scriptures, but I think it would be just awesome this morning if I could show you another video that depicts exactly what it is that Jesus said to Thomas. And I believe with all of my heart that this is also what he is saying to the doubters in the room this morning as well. Let's watch it together. Church, the world says that there is no God, but the gospel says that there is a God and that his name is Jesus. The world says that nothing created everything, the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. But the gospel says that God created everything. The world says that everything is purposeless. The gospel says that everything has a purpose, that God has a purpose for everything. The world says that God accepts sin. The gospel says that God dealt with sin in his own body on a tree. The world says that faith doesn't matter. The gospel says it's all that matters. The world says that the dead cannot be raised. The gospel says that Jesus did it, church. The world says that the sick cannot be healed, but the gospel says that Jesus did it. The world believes that one cannot take another's sin, but the gospel says that Jesus did it. The world says that there's no such thing as a crucifixion. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that Jesus did it. The world says that there's no such thing as a tomb that he went in. The gospel says that there was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and he bought it, he took Jesus' body, put it in that grave, and three days later, he wasn't there anymore, church. That's good news. Listen to me. Because his grave is empty, ours can be too. So which way you headed? Which way you headed in life? A grave is not my destination. I'm happy about that. And I love you enough to tell you that it ought not to be yours. It doesn't have to be yours. That the call that God has to, to, to humanity is still there. Repent and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He is our rescuer. He is our caretaker. And He is our substitution. Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you for the empty grave. Thank you that you are powerful over sin and death. Jesus, you are powerful. You are so powerful. Father, I pray for those who are a doubting Thomas this morning. I pray for those who have blasphemed you. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them the weight of this the seriousness of this. Your work of redemption is no joke, Lord. You weren't playing around when you said to death, no more. 
You weren't playing around when you laid in a grave and then three days later you rose up. The gift that you offer, the free gift, it's free. And the only reason I know why, Lord, is because you love us. I don't even know why. You're holy. You're righteous. You will not be in the presence of sin. You will not be mocked. Jesus, do work among these people. Convict their hearts like you've convicted mine, Lord. Show them the beauty of your love. Show them the sweetness of your sacrifice. Show them the all that you didn't need us. You owed us nothing. But because you're good, because you're just, because you're an advocate, because you're a rescuer, because you're a caretaker, because you're our substitution, you left the grave powerless. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and all the church says, amen. These altars are open for prayer. I'll be over here at the front for anybody that would like to come pray. The altars of this church are never closed. If there's ever a moment that you need someone to share your salvation with or things that you're uncertain of, don't leave today without making these things certain. God bless you as we sing together. I'll be back in a moment.